0: LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple-makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. We are back on the podcast today with a topic that is really, really important for the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. It's really important all the time, but when you're launching a new ministry endeavor which typically happens in every church in January, sometimes in August. Maybe you planned it out in November, December. Maybe you weren't ahead of the curve, and you're just waking up today thinking, what are we going to do this month?
1: <laughs> I hope that's not the case, <laughs> no, but that may be that's the probably case. probably not the case. That could be the that case. Be that the, that, that the would case. probably
0: not be the case. But the challenge is we have people in our churches that we're trying to mobilize, and people have said, man, it's January. I want to get back on track. I want to go to church more consistently. I want to eat better. I want to work out I want to uh, be more successful at my job. I want to spend more time with the family, less time on my phone.
1: Less time eating donuts. And and it
0: lasts at least till February. So how do we capitalize now in the month of January on that type of commitment and help our people to maybe sustain it a little bit longer than the month?
1: Yeah. What do we do? Okay. Well, I think we are picking up on what we talked about last time. And if you haven't listened to the last podcast, you need to go listen to it about how we live in a different culture today. A third,
0: We're, the, you, you the third it the culture. Third culture. So briefly, just summarize that. Again.
1: Yeah. So the first culture is basically a pre-Christian culture, uh, influenced by Greek uh, Hellenistic mindset, Romanism. Basically, multiple gods. The world's falling apart. You're a product of your fate. Everybody lives in fear. You worship these false gods. Sounds like
0: a real fun time.
1: Yeah, polytheism. <laughs> right. And so basically, it's the world before. Christianity. Okay. But then what happened was we live, we moved to a second culture, particularly in America where we lived in a culture, believing in monotheism, one God, uh, we were a culture of morals and values. We followed a guidebook, the Bible. If we lived by the book and we followed and obeyed the the king, Jesus, then we had a blessed life. If we didn't, we obviously, obviously lived outside of the will of God and we have a, had a difficult life. And that was pretty much America for a season of time. Now we live in a third culture. We don't live in that culture. And the reason we have to understand the culture is we have to evangelize differently, we have to, uh, we have to disciple differently. Right. The third culture is this idea where it's all about me. We don't live under the authority of, of a ruler or, or, or a, a one God. I'm the center in the epicenter of the universe, right? It's all about me. It's my time. It's my future. It's my success. It's what I want. I want it now and I want it my way. Okay.
0: And some of this information you're getting is out of a book you've read recently that we've yes. told people numerous times Get by the way, pastor did not write this book.
1: Disappearing Church, right, yeah. This book is called The Disappearing Church. The Disappearing Church, Church, Yeah, we talked about this last time. The Disappearing Church. And basically what this guy, what the premise of this book is, is we are still trying to reach people in a culture that's very different than the one of the tactics that were created to reach that culture, okay?
0: We're still using the tactics, but we're living in a different culture.
1: Yeah, okay, here's the thing, no offense. Does door-to-door evangelism work? Yeah, it still works, sometimes. But the reality is it does not work like it used to work, okay, but let's be honest, if you live in Tennessee like we do, mm-hmm. it, just just for the record, if you come knocking at my door at eight o'clock at night, mm-hmm. uh, it better be for a good reason. It better. Not <laughs> but wouldn't they just say, "Isn't your eternity a good reason, Pastor?" Well, eternity is a good reason, but 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 maybe not my house, but some houses right, you're right, going right. to get met with a shotgun at the yeah, door, eight uh, o'clock at night, that's and a true. dog barking at you. Okay, that's true. so the, you, you you take your life in your own hands today when you do door to door evangelism. Okay, but the reality is, we live in a culture that's individualistic and about me. And here's what this culture is dying for: they're dying for integrity and they're dying for genuineness. Mm. They are looking for people who live what they say. Authenticity. Authenticity. That's a better way for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we talked about this last program. And I just kind of capitalized, but we, we live in a culture. Our kids today live in a killer app culture. Mm. They want this new great app to fix all their problems. Mm. Right. So, my, my son Rick, uh, if he's bored, he downloads an app immediately. Right. Boredom gone. Boredom bored gone. Temporarily. If I can't sleep, I download an app. That plays music for me. Uh, if my blood pressure is too high or, or my heart is too high, download an app can monitor. I mean, everything we live in is this app. Uh, this app mentality, which sure. is a solutionistic culture. Right. You yeah. got a problem, you got a solution. Hmm. That's not the Christian life. Right. The Christian life is not an app. It's a pathway. It's a process. Okay. Uh, it, it, it's 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 not going to be resolved overnight. Okay. Right. So so what do we do? When I think the problem in our culture today is, we're seeing all of these things fall apart, and we're forgetting one key principle that Jesus modeled for us, okay? I read a quote from a guy, uh, a rabbi, years ago, came to America, 2013, okay? This is 2013 now. Uh, his name uh, was Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, okay? Came from the UK, and here's what he said. He said, we live in a culture today that no one really knows precisely what's happening. Okay. Here's what he said. He says, the results are all around us. They're the collapse of the marriages, the fracturing of the family, the fraying of the social bonds, the partisanship of politics at a time when national interest demands something longer. Now, this guy's saying this in 2013. Little did he know what was mm. going to happen. The loss of wow. trust yeah. in public institutions, the buildup of debt whose burden will fall on future generations, the failure of a shared morality to lift us out of the moros of individualism, individualism hedonism, consumerism, and relativism, and here's what he said. We know these things, yet we seem collectively powerless to move beyond them, okay? That was five years ago. That was five years ago, okay? Now, we who understand a Judaic Christian mindset know the answer to these problems. The lost world doesn't. So they think it's more individualism. It's more seclusion. Mm. It's more isolation. It's more success, okay? Here's the answer, okay? The answer comes from the Bible. If we look at Jesus, and this plays into discipleship, Jesus operated under a two-pronged approach to his ministry, okay? He did what was called withdrawing, and then he returned to society.
0: And and before you continue on down this track, this is where we need to focus in. What you're talking about right right now is what we as church leaders, really we as believers, but ultimately church leadership, when we're thinking about how we lead, we press in all the time. And we're talking about going 100 percent or 110% as often as we can to get it done, to make a to do the hard work of ministry, to succeed. And what you're talking about right now, ultimately, this is the tweak that we need to make. Counterintuitive to what leaders. we say, it's especially in
1: January. Because but, January, we're all, we're all on the that's ground. exactly right. All hands on deck. So I,
0: I want you to keep describing, but I just wanted to, to kind of throw out this claim: This right here, what you're talking about is the action step that we need to take yeah,
1: as leaders. And it's counterintuitive, okay? Because here's the reality. We don't think this way. We think work, 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 and then if you're off, and normally in the pastoral ministry, you're never off, right? because right, you got <laughs> ultimately, you're never off. <laughs> ultimately, you're never off. Always on. But here's what Jesus did. This is an amazing paradigm mm. that I think we miss because we always talk about infiltrating the culture, impacting the culture, returning to the culture, which we need to, but we forget the withdrawing from the culture aspect, which is I want to submit to you discipleship. Okay. Discipleship piece, I think, is the missing element to why we're not seeing an impact in the culture today, because we're on the front lines evangelism and evangelizing and leading people to Christ, but we're not personally withdrawing personally and collectively with the group. Okay. Let me give you three examples from the Bible. Okay.
0: So you're saying in scripture, we can see this. This isn't just something you made up. I didn't make this up or that you read a book and thought this is a great idea.
1: That's exactly. We right. can
0: actually see this <laughs> exactly. in the Word.
1: Yeah, it's it, always good when you go it to the is Bible. It's very
0: nice to support what you're saying with Scripture.
1: Yeah, <laughs> always works. <laughs> That's Please. called exegesis, not like, isegesis, I like by that. the way. I the like technical, that. technical and term. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. okay, so let's let's go to Mark chapter one. Okay, in Mark chapter one, we have a picture of a day in the life of Jesus. Very busy day, by the way. Okay, Jesus preaches on a Sunday, on a not a Sunday, on a Saturday. Okay, would have been Sunday, but on a Saturday in Capernaum. He's in Capernaum. He spends most of his time in Capernaum. Mark chapter one, verse 21. Uh, A guy speaks up, disrupts the service, says, I know who you are. Jesus says, be quiet, come out of him, right? The guy says, I know who you are. He's a demon. Jesus casts the demon out. The people are amazed. They said, I've never seen a guy teach with this kind of authority, okay? Mm -hmm. Jesus goes back to the house, Peter's mother-in-law's house. Peter says, man, you just heal some people. Why not cash in on this opportunity? My mother-in-law's sick with a fever. If you heal her, she can cook us a, Sabbat, a Shabbat dinner, right, to eat. And you're hungry? I'm hungry. Jesus heal, comes over.
0: Heals for meals. It's a ministry. To heals for America meals. Here, uh, wow. that's, a, that's, a
1: new, that's a new uh, ministry we can start. New <laughs> that's nonprofit. Not, let's not start Let's that. not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. She gets up. She serves him, cooks him food probably. Okay. Evening comes. The whole town's there. Okay, Jesus, we heard you're the miracle worker. Can you heal us? Jesus spends the whole night healing, casting out demons, prophesying, you know, the t- teaching. Uh, demons are, are not permitted to speak. The next morning, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark outside, Jesus went back to work. Hmm.
0: Mm, that not sound That doesn't
1: sound right. <laughs> right. No, that doesn't sound because that's not right. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying.
0: Wow. You know, I've heard that. I've heard that mentioned so many times for the argument for having a quiet time, having a time alone with God, reading scripture, but not with the context connected that you just made of what was happening before leading up. Not that we shouldn't do it anyway, But knowing that in that context is awesome. Well,
1: okay. So let's speak to the leaders now, pastor, leader, uh, ministry leader. Are you having regular times of withdrawing before you're returning to ministry? Okay. And I'm not just talking about withdrawing, isolation, solitude, silence. That's important. But withdrawing to get filled up through encouragement and edification and accountability in reading the word in a discipling relationship. Okay.
0: All right. So you, you've got three of these. That was one. We're okay. going to take a quick break. And after the break, we'll come back with the other two. Have you been looking for a way to train your church to make disciples? Our team here at Replicate, Robbie Gallaty, Candy Gallaty, Tim LaFleur, Gus Hernandez, and myself, Chris Swain, have put together a digital discipleship blueprint. We've taken our live event that thousands have attended, thousands have been impacted by, and we put it together so that you can get it and watch from the comfort of your own church and show this to your people and use it as a training tool. You will learn how to plan, formulate, and develop a disciple-making culture in your church and its ministries. You can check it out at replicate.org slash buy blueprint, B-U-I blueprint, replicate.org slash by blueprint. If you'd like to check out the digital discipleship blueprint. And now we're back with the other two. Pastor Robbie was talking about three ways, three times specifically, that Jesus kind of pulled away and refreshed, essentially, for ministry. So uh, continue on. You started with Mark 1 and explained that a little bit. Moving into the next one, what was the second uh, situation where Jesus kind of stepped aside pulled away a little bit from what was going on. Yeah,
1: remember the paradigm, the withdraw-return paradigm. Withdraw-return, Withdraw-return paradigm. Okay, and and again, uh, the disappearing church talks a lot about this idea that obviously is in Scripture, but I'm going to give you some biblical examples. This is all from the Gospel of Mark. Okay. Later in the ministry, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Okay. The 5,000 are there. He preaches to him the message of the, of the gospel of the kingdom. Okay. And, and the disciples say, Hey, what are we going to do with all these people? The taco bell's uh, not open. McDonald's is not 24 hours. What are we going to do? Jesus said, you feed them. We don't have any, we don't have anything. So Jesus feeds the 5,000, which would have been probably 15,000 with men, women, and children. Mm -hmm. Jesus is worn out again. He sends the disciples, chapter six, verse 45, across in a boat to go ahead of him to, to Bethsaida. It says, Jesus then after, watch this, after saying goodbye, went away to the mountain by himself to pray. Hmm. Okay, so here we go again. Jesus is returning to the culture. Jesus is impacting people, but he's also r- r- retreating mm. to be by himself with the Father to be filled up. Okay, here's the final one. The final one is actually one we know well, and that's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right. Okay, and this is not very obvious, but I'll make a point here. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane after, after the Last Supper. Remember the Last Supper. He says, one of you is going to betray me. It's the one who puts his hand in the dish with me, okay? Right. We know it's Judas, Jesus leans over, he says, hey man, why don't you hurry up and get this over with, okay? Judas leaves. <laughs> Judas leaves, the disciples yeah. are blown away, you know, who, is it I, Rabbi? Is it I, Rabbi? I mean, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Right? They still don't know Judas is a turncoat. Jesus takes the disciples to a place to pray. Now here's what's fascinating, Chris, this is what's fascinating. Does Jesus tell Judas and the disciples up to this point, after the meal boys were going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray? Does he ever say that? No. Never. (laughs) Isn't it fascinating that Judas leaves? And if you know the direction of where the last supper meal would have been, if you go to Israel, we just were there in November. If you move from there to the Garden of Gethsemane, it's a little bit of a walk. Okay, it's not easy. You got to go down into a valley, back up How to a long mountain. How it take? Uh, it'll take you a couple minutes with people. Yeah. That it's the Passover, so there's tons <laughs> right. of people in town. It probably take you 20 minutes for the walk. Okay, 15, 20 minutes maybe to make this walk from the upper room. Maybe 25 minutes. Okay, it's not an easy walk. Jesus takes us, now you gotta understand, Josephus said back in Jesus's day, there were probably uh, two million people that would show up for Passover. Now that people think he exaggerates his numbers, let's say 10% of that, Okay, okay. 200 to 300,000 people are in town for Passover, okay? Jesus takes the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is about a 25 minute walk okay, with people, maybe longer, and he goes to pray. Now here's what's interesting, Judas comes back with the guards, mm. If you're in the garden of Gethsemane, you can see where the guards are coming from. Okay. There's about a 20 minute walk to get to where Jesus is. Judas knows exactly where Jesus is. The text says that Jesus takes the disciples to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, suddenly arrived. Hmm. Here's a question. How does Judas know where Jesus is? Jesus didn't tell him. Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's a great. How do you know question. where Jesus? Is? Here's how I think. Okay, doesn't say in the text. Here's how I think. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane as a regular routine and a habit of his life. Hmm. Jesus had a regular place he departed to to get alone with the Father. It was a part of the routine of his life that yeah. Judas knew that if I'm going to go anywhere to find Jesus He's at a tough tu- watch there. this at a tough time in his life, it's going to be at the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. I wonder if that could be said about us. When times get tough, do we have a regular place, a regular routine of our life where we withdraw before we return? And I believe that's one of the reasons. And this is what we've said before. Discipleship is not just good for the people you invest in. Yes, it's good for that. But discipleship, listen, brother, pastor, leader, listen to me, women's director, men's director. This is good for your own soul. Hmm. Because if you don't have men speaking into your life, if you don't have men right. or women holding you accountable to read the word and study the Bible and love your wife and, and don't look at porn and don't get caught up with filth and don't get caught up and sin- if you don't have that in your life and you're not withdrawing to be with a group or alone, hmm. I can guarantee you may not probably make it in the ministry. Well, you're gonna fall in the ministry because you're gonna get burnt out. Hmm. Drugs, I mean drugs, could be drugs, but greed, immorality, or money, or pride.
0: So when when you're talking about these things, you know, on a on a higher level, I think there are a lot of guys out there uh, not a higher level, a separate on a separate note <laughs> that would say I have a time alone every day with with God. I read my I read the word. Um, I pray. I have that consistently in my life. Is that what you're talking about? I think you're talking about something a little bit more. When you yeah. say it ties into this discipleship group idea. Yeah. And and again, all of what we're talking about today, we're trying to talk about how to get our people mobilized to do ministry, how we're launching at this time of the year, generally beginning of the year, new new efforts, new ministries, implementing new processes, really wanting to, quote unquote, ramp things up, launch things, kick things off. You're saying to pastors, it's not just just about that alone time, which is critical. It is critical in our life. We definitely need to have it, but it's also about how we're being held accountable in and investing with that smaller group of three to five.
1: Yeah. And I, yeah, it's exactly what I'm saying. And, and what I would say is this, We're not just departing to be alone by ourselves, like you're saying, that's important, but it's departing to be alone with other people. And that's the key. And I think that's what Jesus said over and over again. And the reality is this, this is why this is so important. It flies in the face of what we talked about earlier, this individualistic, selfish, uh, I can do it by myself mentality. Because here's the deal. When you depart from the culture to be alone with God, Mm -hmm and spend time in the word and spend time in prayer. You're saying without saying anything, it's not about me. Hmm. See, people that don't depart to be with God, people that don't read the Bible, people people that are not dependent upon the Holy Spirit are saying to God without saying anything, I don't need you. I can do this thing by myself. Hmm. But the fact that you are having this regular rhythm and routine of departure with yourself and the Lord, obviously, but with a group, you're, you're actually going against the grain of the culture which says you can do it alone. That's why discipleship is so important. When you gather together with a group of men, you realize there's strength in numbers. Sure. When you gather together with a group of women, you realize there's strength in numbers. And what's happening is you're living in community and you're not living in isolation and alone. And I think that's the answer, Chris, to this third culture we're living in. Mm -hmm. Because if we let this culture continue as it goes, we're gonna have a bunch of people with a lot of apps on their cell phones and their computers who have no satisfaction, and who have no clue why they're here and what they're here for, and they'll never find the meaning of life. Why? Wow. Because they're trying to find it on a phone that's going to fix them immediately with a solution. And you and I know the solution to the sin problem we have is a Savior who hung on a cross, who died for our sins. Wow. And until we find out and understand that and nurture the relationship with the one who created us, we're never going to find true joy and happiness in life.
0: That's strong. As we wrap up today, I do want to remind you that we are part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Say that three times real fast. In the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network, we partner with other podcasts who have kind of like-minded focus on wanting to equip the church to make the church healthy, to help equip churches to do ministry effectively. And this week, we want to give a shout out to our friends at The One Thing Podcast, a podcast from our Aussie friends. Yes. From down under. We're talking about Scott Sanders. Aussie or Aussie? And... Aussie. Did I say Ozzy? No. Uh, I thought I said Aussie. No, you said Aussie. Um, are there some Aussie though? You said it sassy. They're <laughs> sassy the way you said it, but keep going. I don't know if they're sassy, but they probably are, <laughs> if they're Australian. If they're um, Australian. Scott Sanders and Derek Hanna will explore different crucial ministry topics, and the best thing about this podcast, in my opinion, is that it is a very short podcast. Really? That is one of the selling points. If you don't have much time, but you need a leadership nugget, whatever that is, all you right. can pick it up from these guys at The One Thing Podcast. Check it out wherever you download your podcasts and uh, give them a listen. They have an accent that you just can't not listen to. That's true. It, I mean, they could just be reading the phone book. They sound This smart. is strong sound theology. Probably not, just kidding there. Moving on and finishing <laughs> up, we have just released our Discipleship Blueprint digitally. You can go to the website at buyblueprintreplicate.org slash buyblueprint yes. and get a digital copy. And the reason that's so important, as we talk about discipleship groups, as we talk about a discipleship pathway, as you look at, it, at equipping your people and effectively teaching and training them, instead of having to come to an event or go to an event, maybe financially, it's not something that you can make happen, you could get this digital version, download it, show your people, show your staff, learn, use it repeatedly in a training environment each year, even maybe more than once a year to show them how discipleship groups can effectively uh, work in your church and how they can start and sustain discipleship. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.